All right, thank you very much, Pastor Elliot. How's everybody doing tonight? Very good. All right, I have a guy that works for me that recently got engaged. Now, the day he proposed, right before he left work, I called him into my office and I thought, all right, I'm going to impart some wisdom on the young lad here. So he came in and I did what any wise father would do in this circumstance. Called him in, sat him down, and turned on my computer, pulled up YouTube, and typed in epic fail marriage proposals. And we watched some YouTube videos of proposals just gone horribly wrong. Then I patted him on his back, sent him on his way off to propose, brimming with confidence and encouragement, because I'm that kind of a boss. But these videos we watched were some guys that had planned these really elaborate proposals, usually in some sort of public setting, big crowds around, strangely often in a mall food court. I don't really understand that. Almost every one of them had rented a band to sing to his girlfriend. Have you seen these things? As soon as the girl figures out what's going on, she is absolutely mortified. And I don't know if the guy is just oblivious to how, how uncomfortable she is, or he's just committed now and he's powering through it, but it always ends bad. Girl runs away. I saw one where the girl went over to the band, grabbed a guitar, came back, hit the guy, and then ran away. But there is the guy at the end just standing there, and he's still got the whole crowd all around him just staring at him. It's about the worst situation you can imagine. Now, you grab one of these guys about 30 minutes before the proposal, and you ask him about it, he's going to say he's feeling, he's feeling pretty good. He's got all the details planned. He's got people helping him out. He's feeling good, and he's feeling ready. The problem is the girl does not want to get married, or at least doesn't want to get married to him. Either way, he's clearly never had any sort of serious conversation with his girlfriend. Communication is lacking. They're not on the same page. If you could find one of these guys today and you'd ask them, they'd tell you, communication being on the same page, that is fundamental. He'd probably tell you that those other details that he cared so much about, they're not really all that, that important at all if you're not communicating well. Now enter the Christian who's often tempted to make the same mistake. Because you can get to feeling good about your Christian life. I'm reading the Bible, you're serving at church, you're giving faithfully, you're using your gifts. But if we were to ask, well, well how's your prayer life? Eh, Prayer life's not that great, but you know, everything else is going well, and somehow we get okay with that. If your prayer life is not good, your relationship with God is not good. Why? Because you're not communicating with God. Like those YouTube proposals, if you're not communicating, you've got a fundamental problem in your relationship. Think about how fundamental prayer is. What does the Bible say about prayer? It says that prayer is how God meets our needs. We pray that, we, that God give us our daily bread. Prayer is how we get wisdom to live. James tells us if we lack wisdom through prayer, we can ask God. Prayer is how we get relief from our worries and our anxieties and fears. Philippians tells us don't be anxious, but through prayer, present your request to God. Prayer is how we confess our sins, how we get forgiveness, how we give thanks to God, how we give praise to God, and yet we just sit there and we shrug our shoulders and we somehow just okay with a, with a mediocre prayer life? You can't accept just an okay prayer life. Don't accept an okay prayer life. You can't be satisfied with mediocre prayer because your relationship to God is too important. 
So we're going to spend some time tonight discussing how we can have a truly effective prayer life. So turn with me to the passage tonight, Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to look at just a couple of verses, verses 2 through 4. It's a short passage, but you'll see that this is going to be very instructive to us on how we should pray. It's going to give us a few tangible things that should describe our prayer life. And it's going to be a good test for us because we can use this passage to see how our prayer life aligns with how it's described in the Bible. So let's go ahead and let's get the point down first before we read the verse. Point number one on your outline, what you need to do is you need to review your prayer performance. Review your prayer performance. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at the verse and we're going to review how you're doing with prayer in relation to what's described in these verses. Because if our prayer is as important as we think it is, We've got to make sure that we are doing it as the Bible describes. So let's go ahead and read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which... I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now notice how the passage starts. It starts with two verses. It starts with continue steadfastly. It means to persist, to be faithful, to be constant in prayer. These, these, these uh, words are used a lot in the description of the early church in Acts 1 and 2 because they were meeting together constantly, devoting themselves to prayer every day, meeting together and praying together. And prayer needs to be a regular part of our lives as well. So as we do this, as we review our prayer performance, the first question you need to ask yourself, pointy finger number one, I got three things we need to ask ourselves as we review our performance. First pointy finger, are you disciplined in your prayer life? Are you disciplined in your approach to prayer? Do you continue steadfastly? Because a lot of us only pray when we feel like it. Pray when there's a crisis, when we need something for God. But God calls us to pray steadfastly, to be disciplined. Turn back a few pages. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to see Paul who constantly modeled this for us. Paul is a great example of being disciplined in prayer. Look what he says in Colossians 1. Look at verse 3. Paul, describing his relationship with the Colossians, says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always do that. Or scroll down to verse 9. It says, And so, from the day we heard, this is Colossians 1, 9, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased. We are always doing this. Paul was disciplined about prayer. He never let a day go by without devoting himself to prayer. No matter what the challenge, what the obstacle, what the issue, he got it done. He was disciplined. Now, I thought about a lot of you out there with, with newborns. You need to be disciplined when taking care of your newborns? Of course you do, those helpless little blobs, of, I mean, sorry, bundles of joy, I should say. Babies need to eat. They need a diaper change. They need a nap. And guess what? As parents, what do you do? You make it happen. I have never had a parent of a newborn come up to me and say, man, you know, 
I'm just struggling with diaper changing recently. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was doing well, changing the diapers a couple times a day, but life's been busy, working long hours. I can't, I can't get it done. I'm, I'm struggling with diaper changing. I, I never had anybody say that to me. And if this is you, for the sake of the kids' ministry, don't bring your kid in. We don't want to meet him. But, but it doesn't happen, right? That's not true. It's a ridiculous conversation because as a parent, we recognize if it needs to happen, we make it happen. There are plenty of things in your life that you make happen on a daily basis. When was the last time a day went by you didn't brush your teeth or you didn't take a shower? No, you made time for that. Prayer needs to fall into this category, something that happens daily. You need to make time for prayer no matter how busy you get. A person that's disciplined in prayer, he's going to do a couple things. First, he's going to make time for some quick prayers throughout the day. He's always going to be tossing up prayers. Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. No matter what you've got going on, you can pray throughout the day without ceasing. But you can't just have quick check-ins with God. That can't be the only type of prayer that you have. If I only had quick check-ins with my wife, if I only talked to her for a couple seconds at a time, what kind of relationship would I have with my wife? Not a very good one. It's like those guys with those failed marriage proposals. It's not likely that they had very deep conversations with their girlfriends. No, you've got to have those in-depth conversations because that is how you really get to know one another. The same thing is true of God. You need that deeper, in-depth time of fellowship with him. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray with all kinds of prayers and supplications. If we're going to pray with all kinds of prayers, that is going to take some time. We're going to have to devote a chunk of our day to this. So the disciplined person, not just throwing up quick prayers, but having times for deeper times of prayer with God. But it's hard, I get it. It is hard to find those times we're busy, hard to make it happen. But the disciplined person just makes it a priority, finds the right time, finds the best time, the time that's most conducive to prayer. You can look through the Gospels and you can see how Jesus did this. How did he make it happen? He was busy. He got up early. He stayed up late. Sometimes he stayed up the whole night just praying, but he found the quiet time. Time when he was not distracted, when he could get his mind engaged. That is the time he picked to pray. My wife and I, we used to pray together every night right before we went to bed. Heads on the pillow and we're praying together. And one of us would be praying. About 15 seconds later from the other side of the bed, you hear, just falling asleep. That is really affirming in your prayer when you're about 15 seconds in and your spouse is falling asleep. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that that is probably not the best time to pray with one another. What did we do? We adjusted. Now we pray right after the kids go to bed. We're a little more awake then, and it works a lot better. The point is for you, though, you need to look at your day. You need to figure out what time works best. Quiet time, quiet place, and pray. If you think about your last week, think about just the last seven days. Honestly, evaluate how your prayer life was. Were you disciplined? Did you make prayers with God a priority? If you didn't, muster up the discipline to make those good, those deep times of fellowship and prayer with God. Make those happen. In the morning, at night, it doesn't matter. Just make sure it's a priority. Make sure you are giving God your best time. You've got to be disciplined in your prayer life. 
But that's not the only thing. Let's look back in our passage. It says a couple more things in verse 2 there. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then it says, being watchful in it. Be watchful in it. The Greek word here means to be alert, to stay awake, or to be vigilant. If you're going to be effective in prayer, as you review your prayer performance, the second question you have to ask yourself is, are you watchful? Are you watchful in your prayers? Because watching and praying is constantly connected in the Bible. Go back all the way back to Nehemiah, building the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilding them, I should say. Opposition out there. What did he say? He said, I made a prayer and I set a watch. Watch and pray. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say to his disciples? He said, watch and pray with me so that you don't fall into temptation. Paul picking up the same theme here. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Why are these things constantly connected in Scripture? Why do we need to be watchful in our prayer? We need to be watchful because there is a spiritual battle going on. Peter picks up this very same theme in 1 Peter 5.8. I put it on the screen. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. There's our word again. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy. The battle out there, and you've got an enemy that's out there that's seeking your destruction. And if you're indifferent to those spiritual attacks, if you're not watchful in prayer, then you're going to be a victim to that spiritual attack. And what's the answer to this? The answer is to pray, to be alert, and to be watchful. Thought about parents of toddlers. We've got summer coming up, and if your toddler is anything like my kids were at that age, they love the pool, but they can't swim. So what do they like to do? They like to hang out on the steps. Hang out on the steps of the pool, and they have loads of fun. And you're tossing the ball back and forth, but honestly, after about two hours, you get a little bit bored, if we're honest with ourselves, and you're tempted to go maybe sit down for a while to relax, go get a drink, maybe even just close my eyes for a few seconds and catch a little nap. But you would never do that, not in a million years, because you know that your kid is vulnerable. And so you're always watching. You're ready to spring into action at a moment's notice should any sign of danger arise. And that, that is the attitude that we need to have in our prayers. Knowing that we're vulnerable. Vulnerable to what? To sin. So we got to be alert. we got to be ready to spring into action should any sign of danger arise in our lives. Got to be watchful in prayer. We've got to wake up to the urgency of what is going on here. We're being attacked. Satan does not want you to have a healthy prayer life. What he wants from you is what so many of you do, what so many of us do. Dull, mindless praying. Does that characterize your prayer life? Just going through the motions. There's no power in that kind of prayer. If your prayer life consists of you praying in the car, driving to work, mind distracted by all the meetings of the day, dropping the kids off at school, kids are making noise in the back seat, if you're in bed, head on the pillow at the end of a long day, if that is your prayer life, I'll tell you, the battle is already lost here. Enemies going to be all over that kind of prayer. You're going to struggle. This is what's going to happen. You're going to struggle in prayer. You're going to find it ineffective, and you're going to stop doing it. Instead, we need to have that mindset of the parent of the toddler hanging out on the pool steps, watchful, saying, oh, man, I'm at risk here. I've got an enemy that's trying to drag my sinful spirit into the deep end of the pool. I've got to watch out for this. I have got to pray and be watchful. That's why they're connected. I get it. Prayer, watchful. But what? What should I be watchful for in my prayers? 
If we do this, if we're watchful, well, what should we be watchful for? Well, as in a true battle, you need to know where your weak points are. You've got to watch for these, and you've got to pray for these. Pray that you stay away from these. What can you be watchful for? You can be watchful for temptations. You've got someone you hang out with, and you're prone to gossip with that person. Maybe you're clicking through the internet, and you're prone to click on something you shouldn't. You need to watch and pray for those situations. You find yourself in it, pray heavily and flee from that situation. Watch for temptations. Maybe you're prone to fighting with your spouse. I've been told husbands and wives occasionally fight with one another, not that I know anything about that. But if this is you, you pray that it, pray about that. My wife and I, we would occasionally fight when we sit down and uh, try to have Bible study or try to pray together. And if you notice this, sit down and try to have a time of prayer with your spouse. What do you, half the time you end up fighting about it. Why? Because Satan doesn't want you to have that time of prayer together. Well, we learned that. Now we're watching for it. What do we do? We, we sit down, we get ready to sit down and pray. We pray for our prayer time. We pray that we have a good prayer time because we got to be watchful for the spiritual attacks. Another big one to watch for. Watch that you are not becoming too attached to the world. Put Matthew 24, 42 on the screen. It says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Don't know when Jesus is coming back, so you've got to be ready, you've got to be watchful because it's easy to get caught up in the world. It's easy to keep up with the Joneses or to try to keep up with the Joneses. I got to have that better house. I need a new car. I need a better job to afford that new car. Got to be alert and be watchful because we're easily distracted by those things. That's why prayer here is so important. You need to pray. Pray that you stay alert to temptations, alert to fighting sin, alert and ready for Christ's return. You have to be watchful in your prayers. So if we're disciplined in our prayers, if we're watchful in our prayers, we're going to be in close communication with God. If you do that, you're going to see so many reasons you have to be thankful to God. And that's why Colossians 4.2 at the end of the verse is so quick to add on after being watchful in it, Saying with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a vital part of prayer. Yet many of us, if we're honest, our prayer with God is nothing more than a list of demands. All you do is ask of God. That's selfish prayer. My kids do this. They're selfish little dudes. What do they always have? They always have a list of demands for us. I want this. Can I have that? My younger one just turned five, and he's always worried. He's always concerned that his older brother is getting a sweeter deal than him. Finally, I had to say to him, I said, look, Micah, because he's like, I'm worried. I'm worried about this. He's always worried about his brother. I said, finally, Micah, you need to worry less about your brother. You need to worry more about Micah, to which his five-year-old little brain processed that and said, well, there's another Micah at church. I think I'm going to worry about him instead. He's always looking at somebody else. He's always concerned at what, what he doesn't have. And that's what drives his discontent. That's what drives his long list of demands. And what we try to do as parents is teach him to take a moment and look at your own life. Look and see what you have to appreciate, what you have to be thankful for. And how much as a father do I appreciate it when he actually does this? And he turns to me and says, wow, thank you, Daddy. How much do I appreciate that? 
How much do you think your heavenly Father appreciates that and wants you to do the same with all the things he's given you? That's why you've got to make thanksgiving a very real and a very vibrant part of your prayer life. Pointy finger number three, you need to ask yourself, are you thankful in prayer? Are you thankful in your prayers? Want to get some fervor? You want to get some energy back in your prayer life? Start getting specific and start getting real with your thanksgiving to God. Because that's when prayer really starts getting powerful. I put 1 Thessalonians 5.18 on the screen. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What does God want for you in your life? He wants you to give thanks to him in all circumstances. That's the will of God. But do you even recognize all of what God has given you? Well, I don't know. Well, how would I know? Well, let's talk about the things that we have in our lives that we can be thankful to God for, things that we can pray about. You can be thankful to God for his past faithfulness to you. Thankful for all the times that God has come through for you in the past. We often tell folks, my wife and I, that we keep a little thanks journal on the counter upstairs in the bathroom. Just a little spiral notebook, but go through our week, something good happens, we write it down on the list. End of the week, as we sit down and do our prayers, we take out the list, we review it. And I will tell you, without fail, every week of my marriage, I've looked at that list and I've been amazed at all the things that God has done for us. What do you have that you can be thankful for? Your spouse, your kids on most days, your health, your job. You got a church, you got pastors that sacrificially lead for you. You got a house, you got a roof that doesn't leak on the occasional day that it rains around here. Even small things you can regularly thank God for. I just recently wrote on our thanks list, I got a wife that wraps all the presents. Got a lot of birthdays in March. She wraps all the presents. I can't wrap a present. It looks like a two-year-old wrapped the thing. Tape, paper all over the place. She does that. Well, there's something I can be thankful to God for. Something little, but something specific that I can recognize. Have you even taken the time to notice how richly God has blessed your life? Big things, little things. If you do this, I promise you, you will be amazed at how much that you can see that God does for you each and every week. But not just for the good things. We can even be thankful for the hard times as well. We can be thankful in our trials. James 1 says that they develop perseverance that help us grow and be more like Christ. We can be even be thankful in persecutions. Acts chapter 5 talks about Peter and John. They were, they were beat up for teaching about Jesus. And what was their response? They were rejoiced that they counted it worthy to suffer for his name. Why? Because they knew that they were storing up for themselves treasure in heaven. We can be thankful in the good times. We can be thankful in the rough times. I could go on here, but the point is, whatever you have going on in your life, spend some time in prayer and be thankful to God. So let's review, review where we are. We've talked about a few things that should characterize our prayer. We should be disciplined. We should be watchful. We should be thankful. But back in Colossians 4, Paul moves on to one very specific thing that we as Christians need to consistently pray for. Because if we're truly disciplined, if we're truly watchful, this should be a regular part of our prayer life. So let's pick it up back in Colossians chapter 4. Let's pick it up in verse 3. It says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word 
to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul asks for prayer to effectively and clearly declare Christ. So people are saved, so his kingdom is advanced. That's Paul's prayer, something we see Paul always praying about, always asking for prayer, that he can be wise, he can be bold, he can be effective at sharing the gospel. And this needs to be a regular part of our prayers as well. If we're going to be effective at prayer, effective at living for Christ, point number two on your outline, you need to pray for the gospel's advancement. This has got to be a regular part of our prayers, praying for the advancement of the gospel message, praying that people are one for Christ. How do we do this? Just these two verses here give us three very specific ways that we can pray for the gospel's advancement. You start in verse 3. It says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. The first way you can pray for the advancement of the gospel, you can pray for an open door. Pray for an open door. What does that mean? An open door does not mean what we often think an open door means. We often talk about an open door of God open a door for my family to move, or God, open a door for me to have a new job, or open a door for me to get a new car. Not that you can't find wisdom from God and pray about those things, but that is not what the Bible talks about when it talks about an open door. You can see it right here in Colossians 4. It says, pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. That's the open door. What's the mystery of Christ? That Christ came to save even the Gentiles, that, that the Colossians can be saved. The open door is that people would be open and ready to hear the gospel message. Now, if we're spiritual enough, we might even recognize this. We might recognize that, that praying for an open door involves praying and sharing the gospel. But even then, we can still think about this incorrectly, as I often have as I, as I read this passage. Because I think about an open door, and I think about, well, I'm going to look. I'm going to look around and if I see someone that's maybe open to the gospel, well, then, then I'll, I'll tell them about Christ. Put a verse on the screen, 2 Corinthians 2.12. Paul speaking here says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, a door was opened for me in the Lord. Now notice the order of what's going on here. Paul, he's on a, a missionary journey. Put the verse actually back on real quick. He's on a missionary journey. So look what the verse says. He says, he came to preach the gospel of Christ. Then the door was opened for me. First, he started talking about God. Then he saw what doors were open. Let's translate this to your life. You've got, let's say you've got coworkers at work you work with. What do you do? You're tempted to wait around, see if anybody shows any kind of signs of life spiritually. Then maybe I'll open up and I'll tell them about Christ what you got to do is you got to reverse the order there. You need to start talking about God, then see who's interested. Coworkers, parents at the soccer field, neighbors on the street, mailman, anybody, tell them about Christ, then you see what doors God opens for you. But you've got to be praying about this. You've got to be praying that you're bold to share the gospel. That's going to take some boldness. You have to pray that you have a predisposition to talk about the gospel to anybody, anybody that's willing to listen. Then you see what doors God opens. You need to be doing this in your own life 
You need to be doing this for the ministries of Compass Bible Church as well. What do we have coming up in a few weeks? Easter. Are you praying about that? Are you telling people about Easter and then seeing who's interested? You're praying that God works through Pastor Mike's message, lives are one for Christ? Are you praying for Project 2014? Are you praying for the new church up in Huntington Beach that people will be reached for Christ? You've got a prayer night on this, Pastor Elliot mentioned, just next week for us designed to do this. You've got to be praying for open doors for the gospel message. Got to be a part of your prayers. But let's go back to Colossians 4.3. If you know, know a little bit about Colossians, you know that Paul's in prison here. That's why he says at the end of verse 3, declaring the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Now, you might think if Paul's in prison, it would be logical for him to pray to get out of prison so he can continue to preach the gospel. That's not what he prays about. He doesn't pray to get out of prison. He prays that he can preach the gospel while he's in prison. Think about the situation here. Paul's preaching the gospel, thrown in prison. He's got opposition, opposition to the gospel, opposition to his ministry. So he prays for open doors to keep preaching the gospel in spite of that opposition. That's the second way for you in your lives. You can pray for the gospel's advancement. You can pray that you are not deterred by opposition. It's got to be a part of your prayer life because if you are open and honest, you're going to realize that as a Christian, opposition will come. John 16, promises that for us. So what you need to do is you need to pray that you stand strong in the face of opposition that you continue to speak. Paul was faithful in consistently doing this, even in prison. Turn with me to Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And let me ask you while you're turning there, do you think Paul was effective in this ministry? Paul, a guy so bold to be able to speak for Christ while he's tossed in prison? Do you think God was with him there? Do you think God enabled him to be successful in that ministry? Let's look at the companion letter, Philippians, another prison letter. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to him, he's been thrown in jail, has really served to advance the gospel. Well, how has that served to advance the gospel? Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, spreading the gospel message. And that's not all. Verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Whole palace guard coming to know Jesus. Paul's in prison. He's got a guard chained next to him all day long, captive audience, if you will. Paul's like, well, guess I'm going to preach to this guy. He's stuck next to me all day long. Not only that, other people emboldened to speak courageously. All of this because Paul was not deterred by opposition, because he was ready for it. We've got to be ready for opposition. We've got to not be deterred by opposition. My wife and I, we occasionally watch those... Uh, I don't know what you call them, those hoarder TV shows. Right, anytime we think our house is a little bit dirty or messy, flip on one of those shows, instantly feel better about ourselves. <laughs> but if you've seen these shows, a relative or friend, somebody goes into this hoarder, and um, I don't know, this house is like just full of whatever, right? Full of junk. And the person, the relative will say, well, you know what? You don't need all this stuff. Throw it away. How do they respond to that message? 
not very well, right? They say, well, what are you talking about? I need that lifetime supply of mayonnaise and those newspapers from 1944. I need that stuff. Opposition. What does the relative do? If they really love that person, they're going to stay with it. They're not going to give up that easily. They're going to have perseverance because they know it's important. What's more important than the gospel message? You've got to have perseverance in advancing the gospel. When you share the gospel, you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready for that opposition. You've got to expect it so that you are not deterred by that, so that you can persevere. Let's think about how this might play out. You might pray for open doors at work. Let's go back to that example. You might have some initial success, but eventually what's going to happen is opposition. You're going to be told eventually, well, you know what? Keep your gospel out of the workplace. Maybe you start getting excluded from get-togethers with your coworkers. Maybe people start thinking that you're weird. Maybe people start saying hurtful things about you, and you're tempted to lose heart. You're tempted to think maybe, well, I guess that wasn't an open door. I thought it was, but I guess it wasn't. And you stop speaking the gospel message. Opposition to the gospel message is not always a sign that things are wrong. In fact, it's often a sign that things are right because Satan is going to oppose an effective presentation of the gospel. And it's more than that. God can even use opposition for his purposes. Think about Paul again in prison. Think about the open doors to preach to the guards, to Caesar's household, doors that never would have been open if Paul was not put in prison in the first place. Don't let opposition shut you up. It's easy to fall into that trap, and that is why we need to constantly be praying about it. Praying for what? For the strength to stand up through opposition, to be ready for opposition, and to persevere. Back to Colossians 4. One last thing tonight. One last thing Paul prays for in regards to the gospel's advancement. Verse 4 says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul prays that he may make it clear. Make what clear? The mystery of Christ, the gospel message. Paul wants here to, pro to provide a clear presentation of the gospel message. Third way you can pray for the gospel's advancement, you can pray that you hold true to the gospel message. And this is so important in prayer and it's so important in evangelism because there are so many influences today that are going to try to drag you away from that true gospel. Try to distract you. Try to oppose you. Try to silence you. So we got to pray for resolve to preach the gospel plainly, to preach it clearly. And to do that, you need to know the gospel. You've got to be ready to present it. You need to make sure that you know the fundamentals of repentance and faith. If you are not well-versed in those things, you have got to get in and study the scriptures and get to know them. And we've got some tools that can come alongside you. We've got the Partners Program. You can go through Partners Chapter 1, and they'll perfectly lay out what the gospel message is. Pastor Mike's written an umbrella illustration, great presentation of the gospel to supplement the scriptures. I think it's in Partners chapter 9 as well. He's even written a book, Getting It Right, tools that can come alongside the scriptures and help you make sure that you are preaching the right gospel, holding true to that. We have got in our prayers to pray for the gospel's advancement. Pray for open doors. Pray not to be deterred by opposition. Pray that you hold fast, hold true to 
the one gospel message. That has got to be a regular part of your prayers. That means when you look, hopefully you've got some sort of prayer list at home that helps organize your prayers. You've got to have something in your prayer list about the gospel's advancement, praying for relatives, praying for friends, praying for opportunities for you to share the gospel message. This is important to God, and it needs to be important to you. And if you do this, it is so much more likely that God will use you to advance his kingdom. Pray for the gospel's advancement. One last thing I read recently about a guy named Hiro Onoda. This is a guy that fought for Japan in World War II. I'm not sure if you've heard about this guy, but in 1944, he was sent to a small island in the Philippines to spy on the U.S. forces in the area. So that's what he did, hiding out in the jungles, spying on the local population for 30 years. 30 years he did this. It wasn't until 1974 that he finally came out of the jungle in his tattered old army uniform and surrendered his rifle, a full three decades after World War II ended. Now, if you were to ask Hero, you say, well, what, what were you doing, dude? He'd tell you, I was just doing what I was ordered to do. He was pretty confident in that. But the problem was he had lost communication with headquarters. And for over 30 years, he was sincere, but he was doing the wrong thing. The war is over, dude. Don't make the same mistake in your Christian life. You have got to stay in good contact with headquarters. And to do that, you have, you have to have an effective, a mature, a thriving prayer life. You've got to be disciplined and watchful and thankful in your prayers. You've got to be diligent in praying for the gospel's advancement. If you do that, then you know that you are living your life in step with God. You know that you are aligned with, in accordance with God's will. And that is the fundamental importance. So let's close this lesson of prayer right now with a little bit of prayer ourselves. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity we have to go through the book of Colossians all year long. And I thank you so much for this passage in chapter 4 here where you tell us how important it is to pray to you. And just pray for all of us in this room that we may grasp how important it is to have fellowship with you, how important it is to spend time with you, to talk to you, to get to know you, to get to know your will for our lives, to be able to thank you, to be able to pray for wisdom and for direction, so fundamental to our lives, Lord. Not only is it fundamental in our relationship to you, it's fundamental in our marriage as well, that we are praying together with our spouse coming alongside you. And so I just pray so much for these small group time right now, the next 45, 50 minutes, I just pray for these small groups that they can have productive time of discussion and just help all of us really understand how we can practically improve and implement changes so that we can be better and more effective in our prayers for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.